short, everybody. Um, I grew up in um, a place called Rotorua. I uh, come from a family of eight, um, which five of us are, are adopted. So we're a bit of a fruit salad of a, of a whanau. Um, <laughs> but also growing up in that environment, had uh, lots of people come over. A very, very loving um, environment. Uh, Mum and dad were awesome. Uh, but also they also um, fostered over, i say, 2,000 kids as well growing up. So we've uh, always had uh-huh. kids to look after. So uh, like I said, it was an awesome um, upbringing. Um, yeah, had um, where we lived in, in Rotorua, there was a golf course, cricket field, or pitch, whatever it is, um, rugby and soccer, <laughs> soccer fields, and uh, tennis courts um, pretty much surrounding uh, our home. So uh, me and my, my little brother, there's a bit of an age difference between um, all the siblings, but me and my younger are the closest. So we would just get out there, play sport um, until, until it was dark and had to come home. So um, yeah, that's why I got my, my upbringing was, was from there. It's quite rare for someone like your parents to be that um, that generous of their love, you know, not only to yourselves, but all these other children that come, um, you know, fostering all of them as well. Like, is, th- does that influence your, your, almost your style of parenting? Oh, hundred percent, bro. It's, um, I would be the person I am without the, the love and the family and the environment that I grew up in. Um, man, like even now, like I'm always been big on, um, looking after people and, and putting others first and, and serving people. Um, and that just comes straight from, from my upbringing. Um, I know I haven't got the same bloodline as my mum and dad. My mum and dad are white, so my dad's from England and mum's from, from Holland. Um, so if you saw Ooh. my parents and half my brothers and sisters are white, so you'd be like, what yeah. the hell? But um, <laughs> we may not have the same blood, but we still got the same roots and the same values, which mum mm-hmm. and dad installed in us. And, um, yeah, that's why I'm so grateful to have an uh, opportunity to have a life like that because – who knows when you're adopted, um, you can go anywhere and any path they could take from. Just like I said, I'm, I'm grateful that I got chosen to, to head up to uh, Rotorua. Bit of a prodigy coming out of um, coming out of high school there. Onto the sevens track. And then when you were playing rugby in high school, was that did you always think that? Or was that, that kind of come as a surprise? How was that for you? Nah, so I played um, I played football or soccer when I was a uh, little that's uh, my dad's uh, <laughs> my dad's English from uh, from Bristol. He sports the Bristol oh, Bears. Um, so we just all of us grew up playing soccer. And I played till I was about eleven or twelve, and um, I ended up I was the goalie, and I was like, I hated being goalie. <laughs> man, I was like, this sucks. And then uh, one of my good friends, who I'm still friends with now, just picked me up one day and took me to his uh, local club team. Um, and I was yeah, the rest of the history pretty much. And um, from there, I went to obviously uh, boys high. The only boys high in, in New Zealand, and hey, um, hey. <laughs> I was lucky enough to have a, a real good, um, good principal and, and good coaches around me. Um, and I didn't realise I was, I was good at rugby until, of all people, my mother. My mother said oh, we went to an under 15s tournament in Australia. I forgot what it's called, and I, I got um, player of the tournament. And I got home, and Mum's like, she looked, she knows nothing about rugby, like zero. She only just watches me, and that's it. Um, and she said, oh, gee, boy, you're pretty good at the sport. Eh? You could, you know, potentially have a career. And I was just like, I didn't think any of it. And I was like, oh, actually, I could. And then the following year, um, when I turned 16, I, I was playing a lot of sevens with um, senior men's sides. And I made the Bay of Plenty senior men's sides for the nationals that year. And um, out of nowhere, Titch picked me for the trials. I was like, I'm 16 years old. I was, to be fair, I was bigger then than I am now. I was about 120 clicks. <laughs> I was, of a big kid. Holy <laughs> shit. Probably, probably a bit more than a hundred and twenty, probably. 
That's a few boil ups there, coach. Yeah. Yeah, a few boil ups there, bro. <laughs> the diet wasn't on. on <laughs> yeah. But um, yes, I went to the nationals. Uh, we made the final that year um, for the Bay. I think we played North Harbour. They had guys like um, Craig Newby, Carlton Nana, all the greats in their team. And I made the trial team. Like I was shocked. I was 16 years old. Didn't expect anything. Oh, went, to the, went to the trial. You heard all about Gordon Titch's um, how camps and whatnot. So I was, I was shitting my pants. I was like, just this kid. I rocked up and I was, uh, I was terrible. Like, you know, the three camp <laughs> tile trial. I was like, can't remember what it was. It was like 13 or something. It was like one of the worst times that I had. And I struggled all in the fitness testing and everything. Uh, but in the games, I was sort of holding my own. Yeah. And I, I was doing okay. And like, um, I missed out on the squad, but Titch pulled me aside and he said, he saw what he saw in me and he just said, if you got fitter, um, you would have been in this team and if you get fitter, you'll, you'll make this team. So from that day on, I, so something switched in my brain and well, I went pretty handy. Eh? I probably, I went running every day, got real fit, like only ate boiled chicken, like boiled chicken and veggies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all this weight and then the, the following year, um, my last year at high school, I, I made the, the sevens team. So um, I was pretty lucky to have those sort of role models or that sort of guidance uh, at, a, at a, such a young age. Bro, so you were, you were 17, you are 17, um, still at school, made the New Zealand Sevens. So were you still at school when you were going on tours or had you finished school? Yeah, no, I still had the last part of school, end of school, um, last half of school to um, and play Sevens, which was, I was like 17 years old, travelling the world and having, you know, your rugby idols, um, you know, take, their own, take you under their, their wing and, and look after you was uh, it's still pretty buzzy now, actually, thinking, talking about it. How did the you exams did. go, bro? How did your interview exams? Remember when he was giving the thing and I said, honorary uh, masters? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they just give you it. But uh, nah, to be honest, bro, I was, I ain't going to lie, I was, I was, I always went to school for sports and like I preach now to all the younger kids to, to focus on education because it does play a big part and um, I guess that's why I'm a bit nervous uh, speaking on podcasts on this, like my first one, just because it's like, um, I guess I don't have the, the talk or the, the words to, to come up. So um, my education was was rugby pretty much. Um, that's all I lived and breathed every day um, when I was at high school. Um, just footy, footy, footy. So exams didn't exist for me. Were you getting, were you getting paid uh, when you are at school and playing New Zealand Sevens? Like, was that a paid gig? No, you get, you get paid. It was like, um, but it wasn't much, bro. Sevens back in the day was, I think it was like, it was two grand a tournament. And I think it might have been 15,000 your sign-on fee, whatever it was. So that was bugger all. Well, not like now it's bugger all, but back then, 17-year-old kid getting that cash. You must have been like, yo, I'm balling. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, this is the other thing, bro. Like, I'm so, I'm so blessed that I had good people around me when I was younger. Guys like Eric Rush. Um, Carlton Nana, Matu Parkinson, and I remember Rushy sat us down, all the young players, and he said, he told, told us what to do with our money, like how to save it and what to buy. And uh, at the time, Anthony Tudabaki uh, bought a, what are those cars? Like a Mitsubishi something. Was, he bought one of those, bro, and sat us down on the t- like in a room and just ripped into muscle about buying this car <laughs> and like, telling us, boys, you don't need to waste your money on this shit. You just get from A to B, put your money here, here, and here. And so I just, like I said, I was really blessed to have guys like that around me to sort of show me the way and what to do. But I did splash out and I did buy, you're probably, you guys are probably too young, but I bought this uh, a TV of the big box and it's like about 
10 feet deep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it cost about three grand at the time. But um, oh, right. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty ugly. That's the only thing I, I really bought and then with, with my um, paycheck. Go on and then 20 years old, you go on and then you, you win the World Series of the boys. Kept, kept uh, that's, the a team long then. <laughs> that's, that's a long time ago. Yeah, <laughs> yeah 17, 18. Um, I had these great role models like Garrett Brush, like I said. Um, and then all of a sudden they all left. And they left us with, uh, with a pretty young team. Um, and still had guys like Kamasi Valance. Um, you guys might not remember him, but I reckon he's probably the yeah, greatest New Zealand Sevens player ever. Um, yeah, he was, he was, bro, he was mad. We had, all, we had all these sort of older guys. Um, and then out of the blue, just Titch just asked me if, um, if I was up to, to be the captain of the side. I'm just like, bro, I'm just a, you know, just a 20 year old. Um, the only team I've kept in was my boys' high team before, and um, that was about it. So <laughs> I just, uh, yeah, I just took the challenge and then just went with it. And I was just lucky enough uh, once again to um, use the people in my life before um, with the values and, and whatnot to to lead the way I do. And how did you make that transition being from like a young up-and-comer, probably for 17 to 20, being three years in the squad and then leading the squad, particularly when it's sevens is a lot smaller, tight-knit units. Rather than like 15s, you have a large team. Sevens is a lot tighter, tighter units, so relationships and kind of those bonds you forge are a lot more, I suppose, important in, in terms of success. How did you go about that, bro, transitioning to a leader and kind of empowering the team around you? Yeah, bro, so... um uh, as you're as you're a younger player, as you guys will know, you just you just do as the the older person done or what they put down onto you, and you obviously put your own little twist in. So, I guess my mode of being a leader came sort of came from Eric Rush, um, who didn't say a lot, but he was always the hardest working in the team. Bro, he played until he was like forty, and he was still yeah. wanting the beat the beat test and all that, bro. And I'm just like. Was, and he, you know, he wouldn't. He would only say if he had to say something, and he'll be straight to the point and very direct about it. But then there's the off-field side of things where he's like, because I guess he's older, he's like sort of co-martyr of the team and looking after us and, and making sure we done right. So I just pretty much just just copied exactly what he he done. I, I didn't say much. If I did say something, then I made sure it was straight to the point, and I just made sure that I was the hardest working guy in the team and and always putting others first and making sure that we could put the team first and in the right direction that we wanted to go and what was that like at the end like looking back at kind of the work you've done in terms of putting in for the leadership and looking back with the squad how was that uh to be honest i don't haven't really reflected on on things like that eh? and i'm not really big on um stats or championships but it's more the the impact or the influence that i i did have in those environments um yeah Sort of want to leave my mark or legacy, but yeah. The only thing I honestly remember from the sevens, bro, is the 80, 60, 40s and the running, bro. Like, <laughs> you know, we've won a few titles, we've won a couple of gold medals, bro. But I can, you ask any sevens player, bro, and I'll just tell you the same. All they remember is just the, the ruthless training that we had to go through. <laughs> Funny, man. And when, so like you're in the sevens world, when does it start to become apparent that you could transfer to 15s, bro? Because like a lot of people just see sevens and fifteens, don't really realize how big a jump it is, but particularly go from sevens into the loose forwards as well. Like when does that become apparent, bro? Yeah, so I think it was um, was doing sevens and playing under nineteens, under twenty ones. That's before the under twenties were um, came about, so you could play both. Um, and I was sort of in the Waikato NPC um, mix as well, so I was I was trying to do both, but 
when I was playing sevens, I was probably 100, 103 kgs at best. And, you know, that's, well, that's not big enough to, to play 15. So yeah. um, when I had to make the decision, I was like either going to be a sevens player or a 15s player. Um, I talked to a lot of people that I trusted and respected and most of them would say, oh, all of them told me to go play 15s. And even Titch's philosophy was trying to get as many players he could into the All Blacks or into Super Rugby. That was his sort of philosophy. Like that's what he sort of went on. And um, yeah, once once I got all that support, I was just like, just went for it. And um, so, yeah, I played for Waikato in 2003. I'm out of high school and I was still like 100 kgs, whatever. So I knew I sort of had to... I had to snap out of that, that sevens budge, which was hard because I love sevens and I still do. Um, I think it's a great, yeah. great game and a great, great tool for, for younger players to express themselves, um, to get fit, to get base fitness. Um, I wouldn't have the, the cardio or the base fitness I have now if it wasn't for what I've been through in the sevens. Um, and yeah, once, once I realized that I had to go 15s and I sort of had to snap out of it and I had to work really, really hard for the next three or four years to convince people that I wasn't a sevens player anymore. That, um, yeah. like, that's the tag I always got stuck with. It's like, oh, he's just a sevens player trying to play 15s. So um, yeah, I worked really hard on my game to, to try and change people's perspective on it. Yeah, I remember like a lot of time you obviously we read from it from a media perspective, but it always say, Oh, it lacks physicality because of that sevens background. How was it a mental change or a physical change? Like how did you go from getting I suppose getting rid of that tag? It was a bit of both. Um probably more the the mental side of things. Um physically, uh, I love to train. I love to train hard, so putting weight on wasn't a problem. Um, but it's yeah. just more the mental side and, and understanding my role, what my role was as a, as a blindside or loose forward in, in the modern game. And it wasn't until um, 2012 when uh, Dave Rennie, Tom Coventry, Andrew Strawbridge and Wayne Smith took over the Chiefs. Yeah. That's when I really, really understood my game and I had to change my game because I, the year before I just got dropped um, the day of the All Black um, World Cup team. So um, that year they just broke my game down and just made it real simple and clear and what, I, what my role was and I had to I really understand what, what it meant to be a, a physical um, loose forward and from there it's sort of yeah it's more than the mental mind, mind shift of, of that You probably had a high of 2010 when you go to the Commonwealth Games win the gold medal and then obviously 2011 going through that pretty good season coming close played a test I think and then getting that news you know we were discussing this before but you know how does someone like yourself how do, how do you go about processing that kind of mentally and then going, well, yes, I'm going to stay in New Zealand and, and, and give it a crack? Well, that wasn't the first time that I've uh, had a massive disappointment in my career. Um, I know I've had a, a very long and, um, I guess, a successful year, um, career, sorry, um, 18 years now. But in that 18 years, there were so much um, disappointments and setbacks that I had to go through. And that 2011 World Cup was just one of them. That, um, that I had to go through and I went through a lot more when I was younger as well and I remember Eric Rush always saying um, it's only one man's opinion and so when I missed out I just I used that and also my father would always say um, God always has a bigger plan for you so I just had to believe and trust in that that um, yeah I'm human and missing out on a team like that is, is very disappointing and you're you're angry you're gutted and, and all the emotions that of disappointment come through comes out um, but just taking on the chin and um, knowing that if I keep working hard, then um, there's going to be something bigger for me at the end of it. 
Um, so just knowing that um, there's something bigger or another door that's going to open. Um, that this is this is this isn't it. The the hardest thing about that 2011 World Cup one was um, we just played South Africa in Port Elizabeth the, the day before, and they pretty much chucked on the the young fellows with a few of the older older boys. So um, I think from 2008. Between 2008 and 2011, when I debuted, I think I'd played like maybe six or seven test matches. Yeah, I remember. Like when I went on NBA tour, I knew I was going to play against Italy and Scotland. Like, <laughs> I knew those, those are my yeah. two games. Yeah, 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 yeah. All, the, all the young boys knew that they were playing Scotland or Italy. Like, you're going to get one of those games. Like, you, you weren't going to play against England, Ireland, or, or Wales. You knew you are going to play those two. So, I think, I think um, yeah, that, that period I played. Um, I think it was seven or eight test matches and then got chucked in against uh, Africa, which was awesome, a good opportunity to, to express ourselves. Uh, but we ended up losing that game and then the night, that night of that, that test match, they said, um, tomorrow we'll ring you, stay by your phones, we'll ring you at five o'clock or something to see if you, not five o'clock, like 11 o'clock to um, tell you if you you made the, the squad or not. So if you got the phone call, you didn't make the squad. And I was sitting in my room and I was nervous as and got to 11, no phone call and I was just like, I was like buzzing as I made the team and then I was like are you sure then 11.30 still no phone call and then texting the boys I was like you guys got a phone call like nah nah I was like oh yeah congrats congrats but then 12 o'clock bring bring I was just like no picked up the phone it was like it was one of the I think it was Bertie our um, our mental skills coach like oh he can come down to the the meeting I was just like went down told me that I didn't make it and then we had a team meeting bro, at like one o'clock and uh, there was three of us at the time, me, Jose Gear, and White Crockett all sitting in the team room. So all the other boys that made the World Cup, everyone was like happy, cheering um, and happy for them. Uh, but the three of us who were in that team meeting, it was like awkward as we had to fly from South Africa back to New Zealand with the boys and we, we landed in Sydney and the boys had to go play the Wallabies in Brisbane that following week. So they went left yeah. to Brisbane and then yeah, the three of us this. went right to, to Auckland. And then we landed in Auckland. All the media were at the Auckland airport. They didn't know the squad, but they knew that three players got sent home mm. because the, the announcement wasn't until the following Wednesday or something. And then the three of us walked, <laughs> walked out of the airport and I was just like, just, just everything, all the lights, cameras were at us, just asking questions. We weren't allowed to say a yeah. word and we just, just carried walking on. But... Um, so to go back to, to what you're asking, like how do I get through it? It's like I had a great support crew around me, um, just surrounded myself around great friends and this got me through and, and my upbringing got me through it pretty much and yeah. um, what I sort of, at a very young, very young age, I saw that rugby was just a, a game and um, there's bigger things in life and missing out on, on, a, on a rugby team is, is just part of it. So I've obviously had the same, same call in 2015. Um, but like now when I look back, I just kind of like laugh at that. Not laugh at that time of my life, but I kind of just look back and be like, man, it wasn't as big as I thought it was. Like, do you, yeah, do you look yeah. back and do you look back at that time in your life and just be like, father, like, it's actually like no one actually really cares about it. Do you know what I mean? Like, you will know, so it's like when you're, you're grinding for something so big, like you're grinding for the all black jersey and you're, you're working your ass off every day for it and you just get caught up in that bubble and you just think that rugby is this, rugby is that and, and everything and everything and then you get hit with a reality check like that sort of puts everything into perspective and humbles you a bit and, and makes you um, just realise like there are bigger things in, in this world than, than just a, a, a footy game and I think you sort of open your mind to the world 
Um, and also, when I missed out on the, um, frick, when was it? The Olympics 2016, um, I missed out on that squad. I got home from camp after missing the squad. Um, and my son, he's like, he didn't care. He's just like, oh, I was gutted as. I was like, <laughs> and he's like, Dad, I also want to play Transformers. Let's watch Transformers. Let's play Transformers. And I was just like, once again, there was just like a, something just clicked in my head. It was like, you know, bro, it's all right. You gave it everything you had. You tried your best. Didn't work out. Your son wants, is sitting here, wants, wants to watch Transformers and play Transformers. You know, it's like just another little, like you talked about, so it's just another little um, reality check where you're just like, oh, at the end of the day, it's a, it's a footy game. And so moving on, so obviously that massive disappointment, and you, you touched on it before, Dave Rennie, Wayne Smith, Tom Coventry coming on board with the Chiefs. This is an opportunity. Jerome Kano had gone over to Japan at that time, and you had a really opportunity to bounce back from that disappointment and kind of really solidify yourself as the premier six in the country, bro. What was your mindset into that year, and how did those coaches influence you? Yeah, well, um, it was a new era beginning at the test for us. And um, I guess we still had the, the great values that we have. Um, or everyone's had the, the phrase Chiefs Mana, but we, we still, yeah. still had the, the values and the roots of that the previous years. But when Dave and the um, coaching staff came in, they really enhanced it. We really understood and knew what it meant to be a Chief. Um, and the leader's done an awesome job just to drive that. And, and to be honest, in 2012, after the World Cup, I was just like, I had the mindset of like, no, nah, you know, stuff it. I'm just going to go out there and just just play play rugby, do what I love to do and just have fun doing it. And um, that, was just, that was pretty much my whole mindset going into it. Um, the All Black can, uh, team got named for that year, 2012, and, and I missed out. Um, and it was just by luck. Victor got injured and Adam Thompson got injured, I think. So there's no more sixes in the country. Um, and they had one more test match and, uh, and, and, and it was in Hamilton. So... They rang me up. I was like, oh, yo, I'm free. I'll <laughs> jump off. And, um, I got shit to do. Yeah, I got my boots, yeah. I got my boots. I was like, I really didn't know. Um, I didn't expect to, to play or, or start or whatever. And, and they started me. And uh, from there, um, went on to play another 40-odd games. So, um, yeah, just that, that mindset of just like, yeah, you know what, stuff, I'm just going to go out there. Um, I had a bigger purpose, I guess, um, a bigger cause with um, – uh, with the Chiefs um, and really driving Chiefs mana and really driving our standards and values and, and what it meant to be a Chief and um, playing for something bigger than, than championships or, or jerseys. So um, I think that really, really helped me uh, get through that sort of period of, of my career. Yeah. And like for obviously where a lot of our listeners are from the UK, explain Chiefs mana and what's that about? And you, you talk about what it means to be a Chief, but what, what do you mean by Chiefs mana and kind of the foundations that's built on? Um, oh, bitch, man, it's just, um, yeah, it's hard to explain if you're, if you didn't come from that environment and, um, yeah. well, also it's just a, a value and, and standard and a way of living, um, you know, we're a, a group that works really, really hard. Um, Dave Rennie always says it, um, you're a good bugger. Um, you care about your community and, and where you come from. Um, you understand your role, um, you understand what it means to, to be a chief. Um, and there's also the on-field side of it uh, where we sort of, Chiefs Mana sort of is like being physical, being relentless, um, being skillful and all that. So sort of two sides to Chiefs Mana, but 
and lawless just a, a way of living. Hey, um, I've got a funny story about your uh, uh, your physicality, um, actually, hunger. Uh, and so in 2012, I would have been uh, 19 years old, I think. And I remember, um, I remember we came up to we came up to uh, Hamilton. We played you guys, and I was only a young kid, so I must have come off the bench or something. And I remember being in the bottom of a rock, and I. <laughs> and this big fist comes out of nowhere, bro. Just, <laughs> just fun, bro. clobbers me, bro. Just clobbers me, bro. And I look up, and I'm just a young kid, so I'm like, oh, like whatever. And I look up, and I see you, and I was just like, oh, you're a good bro. And I just <laughs> I can't, can't do anything. So this dude, he's gonna freaking knock me out. But that was that was one of my first memories of you, bro. And I, it just cracked me up how you. You talk about physicality because I've I've seen it firsthand and I've witnessed it. So very physical See, in those rucks when the refs aren't looking, bro. Because uh, oh come on, bro. There's a you know there's a there's these rules, bro. You sort of just push over the boundaries. But um, <laughs> so, so where, I, where, where I learned that was uh, once again I had um, great leaders and and people to look up to when I was on the sevens. And guys like Martin Parkinson, um, <laughs> Eric Rush again, Ruta Puki. Like those guys always, <laughs> they always taught me, they taught me, said, um, you know, make sure you, you hit first, you know, just get in there. <laughs> and I was, I, was, I was in the same situation as you, Sox, and I was, remember I was, um, I was at the sevens camp, we were playing our um, trial games or whatever, and um, Mato Parkinson was just getting stuck into me, and I was just like, oh, this guy, bro, I was like, you know, everyone knows he's a mean scrapper, so I wasn't going to do anything, I was just like, oh, yeah, just keep going. <laughs> and then um, I think it was Rushy, Rushy's like, Bro, just give it back to him. It's all good. And the next ruck, I just flew and I just had this big, good, solid clean-up, legal clean-up. And Mati just turned around and said to me, he goes, there's a boy. And then from then, I was like, oh, here yeah. we go. Yeah, bro, I didn't have the balls to do that during the game. I was like, too yeah. scared. I was like, oh, oh, I was the same no, 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 yeah, all good. <laughs> I remember my first game against um, Wellington or the Hurricanes. And I was up against JC, Ronnie Serralo, and Chris Masoy. And I'm telling you now, <laughs> the scariest oh, wow. and baddest loose forward trio you will ever meet in your life. And me, I was like 20 or 21 years old. And we're scrummaging, and I sort of held um, JC back a bit, just out of his jersey. Next minute, crack oh, on no. the jaw, and he said, <laughs> kind of sat on here. But he said, beep, don't ever do that again, you beep, beep, young fella. And I was just like, <laughs> I just I just dropped my nuts. I was like, ooh. So, you know, this, I learned those sort of things from those fellows. Well, um, for me and Kyle, I hope you got Lima a good one, bro, because he deserves yeah. it. <laughs> um, and so those 2012 and 13 years, you guys win the, the championship, bro, driven by Chiefs money. You guys come out with your own haka, um, really connected to Māori roots, like pretty amazing, massive cultural shift in rugby, I think. How was that for you? Yeah, bro, it was awesome. Um, and if you know the... The area of, of the Chiefs area, it's uh, very, very um, pronounced in, in mouldy So um, to know who we are and who we represent, that was a big part of it. Um, you know, knowing our area, our franchise, our people. Um, you got the Te Arawa people, Tuhoi, um, the Tainui people, Maniopoto. So it just goes on. So it's very, very strong in mouldy So um, all our boys got involved, the Pakia, the, the island boys. Um, we had an English fella, um, Matt Simmons, get involved, and they just loved it. And, um, you know, um, Māori is really big about knowing who you are and where you come from, and that was a very yeah. big part of Chiefs Mana. And we had our, our river, our awa, our Waikato River, and that sort of connected all of us and binded all of us to, as one team. And we had our, our, our maunga, our mountain. So just really 
tapping into those those sort of little gold nuggets really, really paid um, massive dividends at the end of each season because it sort of just really glued us and bind us together as a team. Yeah, so no, bro, that's, and I think, well, particularly for you being like English parents and staying to connected to your Māori roots and everything and coming through the Chiefs and kind of driving that Chiefs mana culture is massive. How does that then transfer to the All Blacks, bro? Because you became a, an integral part of the leadership and driving culture there as well. Obviously, the kaya for the huckers as well, bro. How does that all translate? Yeah, I think no, I think it is a natural progression, bro. And, and once again, I go back to my values and upbringing and, and the roots that I had. Um, you know, my roots are real strong and deep, and, and sort of family feelings and, and um, serving and helping others in need, um, or just making putting people before you. So, um, once again, when I went into that all black environment, um, same thing. I just I was just being me, pretty much. Um, wasn't trying to do anything anyone else. Um, yeah, just putting, being myself and leaving my mark in, in that jersey and in that environment the best that I could. So. Yeah. And 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 um, hunger, bro. So um, obviously, my first experience with you was in two fifteen when I ended up making the team, um, and I felt you know incredibly welcomed by you and a lot of the other senior boys, you know, Jerome and Kevin and all that. Did you boys have sort of the same mentorship from sort of guys in the team when you were young guys? Or did that come from sort of like guys in the Chiefs who took you under your wing? Like who were those guys that sort of took you under their wing and, and, and kind of helped you through? Or, or was that, you know, as you already said, guys like Russian that did you, as, as your career progressed, was it, was it was it anybody different, or was it coaches, or you know who, who was it? Yeah, after talking to you guys all about this, the Sevens actually did play a massive role in yeah. in that sort of environment and culture thing because, as T said, like it was a real small group. I think it was like back in the day, it was only ten of us and maybe fifteen in the whole squad the whole year. So it's a very very small group to be real tight and you're with each other twenty four seven pretty much, and you're going through you're going through how every day at training and you're pushing yourself mentally. So I think now really thinking about it and after talking to you guys about it, I think that really played a, a massive role. And then when I was in the all-black environment, um, Kivi, Kivi Mialamu, um, the big also, he's like, he took me under his wing and, and looked after me. And after every time I got dropped, um, there was a game against France and Dunedin and I played like crap. But the whole, whole world knew about it because Ted just threw me under the bus and I was pretty much the only reason why we lost. And, it was all oh, that. Wow. and that, was, that, was, that was pretty hard to take. Um, just being a young fellow and, and Kevi and, and Ronnie Su- um, Suyalo sort of took me under their wing and they just looked after me and, and they made sure you know I was, I was uplifted and they kept empowering me, which was awesome. So obviously, once again, you have that sort of um, aroha and that sort of love. You sort of pass it on to the next generation and, and making yeah. sure that I can empower the next um, group of young guys to come through just to be themselves and, and to shine. Moving, like, you solidify yourself for those few, those, what was it, from 2000 and you, the next year you made in 2013? Yep, yep. The end of 2012. And then progressing to that 2015 World Cup, bro, you're hitting some peak form, bit of competition, but you were kind of right there or thereabouts. Talk us about that journey to the World Cup, bro, and kind of, I know you talk about, I suppose, unfortunate situations, but another one came up at the World Cup. Tell us about that, bro. Yeah, so just took every opportunity I had, and I think it was 2012 to, to 15. Then uh, Lomi, Jerome, decided to come back from his uh, making his million dollars in Japan, <laughs> um, which was awesome because um, 
to be honest, he gets the best out of me every time I play him. I, I always know I need to be at my best. So, um, and we're real close. Um, we've been close since high school. So we're just pushing each other every day, which was awesome. But in, um, I'll touch wood. I never, I never get injured or I've never had any major injuries. And in 2015, at the end of Super Rugby, for some reason, I just keep pulling my calf and I just couldn't get it right. I just keep pulling my calf, keep pulling my calf and made the World Cup squad. Got to um, the first game. I didn't play the first game. And then the next game I was about to play, the first training, I pulled my calf again. And I was just like, oh, I think I'm, I'm done. And I was like, oh, I just didn't want to go home. Didn't want to go home. Um, and lucky enough, um, Shag or Steve Hansen at the time said, nah, it's okay. We're going to keep you until before the, the World Cup. So um, that was a pretty hard pull to swallow because um, I worked so hard for the four years. Yeah. Um, to get to that one stage, the, the stage of the World Cup. Um, but then, once again, because I had all those setbacks and tough times in my career before, um, that sort of built me strong to, to be able to take that sort of disappointment and move on to finding something um, that will benefit the team and, and be positive to the team to help them to achieve what they needed to achieve. Yeah, because I remember like reading a lot in the papers post the World Cup, a lot of the articles and people who are interviewed talk about how integral you were to winning the World Cup just because of the culture you drove off the field, particularly with the, the dirties and all that and keeping everyone motivated, pushing the other players, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, so um, once my calf was, like I kept pulling my calf, I was a, a slim chance of playing any game and then it came right for the, the last pool game against Tonga. And I remember they said that everyone was going to get a run. So, you know, I thought I was going to get a run. Um, and then Steve put me aside and he goes, oh, I need to talk to you. I know you're a good man and you'll do what's best for the team, but we're going to stick with Jerome, Richie and Rito just to get combinations right for the, the quarterfinal. So, and I was just like so gutted and I was just like, I was pissed oh, off. And man. then um, all of a sudden, captain's run, um, Richie can't play. So I'm just like, Ooh. There's my chance that I got onto the bench for that game. Um, but anyway, when they told me that, or when I done my calf in that, I've got a real good friend, um, Clive Bourne, who's um, got nothing to do with rugby, just outside of rugby. He's um, he's quite high up in the, the Mormon church, or whatever. But he always just he just said that um, even Jesus um, served and washed people's feet. And um, I'm not super, super religious, but I am sort of, I have my face in that. And then I just took that and I just like, you know what, I'm just going to go off. I'm going to do what's best for the team, help this team um, achieve the goal, which was to, to lift the, the World Cup. And I've done everything in my power to, to be able to do that. Um, I became, I guess, the go-to water guy. <laughs> team man. Um, Nothing wrong with that, bro. Yeah, I know. At the, at the time, you know. Yeah. It was all good, but then you think about it, it's like, oh, sorry, at the time I was just like, oh, I have to do the water again, you know, like, but then like thinking back now, I'm just like, you know, grateful that I had the opportunity to be able to, to be that close to the boys and still uh, give my five cents. You know, the coaches will give a message from the, the top and you'll be like, hunger, make sure you give a message. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah sweet. And then tell them, the, tell them a whole different message. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, Go ahead, hi, that dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, uh, yeah, I just make sure I just done what I best for for the boys. Oh, that's cool, man. That's cool. Um, and obviously, um, I was lucky enough to to sort of be in that team in two fifteen and, and and didn't make it. But I remember uh, my debut week, bro, and um, you were there in South Africa in Joburg, um, and you end up running sort of like a hucker practice, you know, because uh, 
there was there was a thing. I think it was me, Broadhurst, uh, who else? Maybe Cody Taylor uh, or, or Wise. I can't remember. We were in your room, bro, and I remember you just cracking up at Broadhurst uh, for his for his hucker. Um, was there anyone in at the World Cup that you kind of had to teach or like uh, sort of get their hucker like a little bit better? No, nah, so like <laughs> oh, I don't know if it's traditional all blacks, but everyone I think everyone's just expected to know the hucker when you become an all black because yeah. everyone does it since they're kids. So there's no real practice whatsoever unless someone like yourself asks or. You know, it's quite daunting doing the huck the first time in front of 60,000 screaming South Africans. So, um, but in, in the World Cup year, we wanted to um, we wanted to do something different and, and um, we wanted to leave our own mark on the hucker and that's where the, the triangle um, shape came about. Oh, yeah. Um, so we, we had a lot of practice on that just because it was something new and something different and had a, a different understanding to, to what we wanted it to be. Um, yeah. So we had, we had a few... Few um, hucker practices just to make sure that we got over that. But um, now there's been some some cringe moments like Brad Brad Metallic's like played almost a hundred test matches and he still can't do a hucker, bro. He gives everything he's got, which, is, <laughs> which I support, which I love. Like he goes hard, hardcore, but he always runs his way to the back and he's like the biggest dude, so you can still see him and you just try not to. Like you're like, bro, come on. <laughs> you play like ninety something test matches very surely. Now your uh, role, mate. Yeah, buddy. And what does Haka mean to you, bro, in terms of leading it? And what did that mean to you, being a part of the All Blacks environment and, and leading the Haka? Yeah, well, bro, to be honest, it's, it's a huge honour. Like, um, when Kevin and Richie asked me to lead it, I was like, bro, hell no, bro. Like, like you two are, like, got so much mana in this group. It's like, it doesn't matter if you're Māori, Pacific Island, or whatever. It's like, you yeah. know, it comes down to mana, bro. And I was like, there's no way I was going to do it with guys like Richie and um, Kevin Milano and the team and then, He's like, nah, you're doing it. I was like, oh, okay, okay, okay. Sweet, sweet. So I was practicing for about every day in my room, just making sure I could stuff it up because I think the, the first one I had to do was couple of Ponga, which is which is pretty, yeah, bro. pretty hardcore when you've had guys like Tana and, and Pretty um, lead it. But now nah, for me, it was a great honor to, to be able to lead it. And um, it's just a, it's a way for me to sort of sign off as a team at the end of, a, um, end of the preparation, I guess. Like you're going yeah, into yeah. battle. And a lot of people sort of, especially over here in the UK and, and France, they sort of misunderstand what the hucker is. Um, like we're paying respect to the opposition, but ultimately we're sort of connecting as a team, you know, yeah. to our brother left and right of us and behind us or in front of us. Just, you know, making sure that we're ready to go and we're sort of connecting together. Um, so, yeah, no, it's always a, a massive uh, honour to better to lead the hucker. Out of the hucker leader, who was your favourite hucker leader growing up? Who was your favourite? Oh. I still remember Tana's one and um, yeah, bro. a couple of Pongo first came out and to see him do with his dreadlocks shaking, he looked like a real hoary from up the hill. So yeah. um, he was awesome to, to see him lead it. And um, oh, Pretty's, Pretty's probably the, the goat at leading the hucker just because he's straight ugly. <laughs> no, funny. And then after the World Cup, bro, you what happens there? You gas overseas, is it? Is it over to Japan or you, you had the Olympics after that? What? Yeah, we had the uh, Olympics, but I um, somehow my manager worked a, a deal of a lifetime, so I had the opportunity to go play in Japan and then come back for the sevens and then go back to Japan and come back for super and then go back to Japan sort of thing. So um, I was doing that back and forth. And I love Japan. Japan was awesome, an awesome experience. Um, that was the first time leaving New Zealand and really opened up my eyes to, to the world. 
yeah. um, and sort of getting out of that um, the New Zealand bubble um, and just really seeing what the world really is and different culture, different language, different food, different style of rugby. Um, to be honest, I struggled my first year. It was just totally different, out of my comfort zone. Uh, wasn't used to the style of rugby, the language. Probably ate too much uh, sushi and rice. <laughs> um, too but, many carbs. Yeah, but after that, just loved it and, and loved my, my whole experience in, in Japan. Awesome people, um, very respectful. Um, yeah, just loved it. I guess now in your stage now in France and probably, you know, like the quarter of the team now, you know, kind of like where do you see your role, like being in Toulon, having had this quite storied career and how do you approach a, a team? They may not necessarily know you as well. It's kind of we've known you because we've kind of, you know, we've felt like we've been on your journey, being an all-black supporter and, and watching rugby all on our side of the world and then kind of coming into this space. Like, is, how do you approach that? Yeah, it's, it's funny you say that, bro, because over here, they know every single rugby player and they know everything about you, bro. It's just like, like in New Zealand, we don't, like, when I first came here, I hardly knew any French players until I obviously played yeah, here, bro. you know? Yeah. Like, that's, that's no disrespect yeah, to them. Like, it's not, it's just like, in New Zealand, we just worry about ourselves and we worry about, like, who, like, we, we know every single super rugby player, but over here, I knew maybe two or three French players, like Bustero. Um, and that's a, you know that's it but like that's, that's no dis- disrespect to them um, but the hardest thing for me is like because I've had such a influence in New Zealand um, at a leadership role when I came here it's the language because yep. I can't, can't speak French I can sort of understand it but I can't speak French so I just made a real conscious effort um, especially the last two seasons here in, in Toulon um, and I went by saying that Ray Lewis would say was, it's, um, it's not what they hear it's what they see so I'd, I just made sure that I've, I've sort of done that anyway throughout my career. You know, I always made sure I led by actions, but I really made sure that I, I could do it here. And um, if the boys did ask questions, because some of them can speak English and pretty good English, then, you know, I would obviously give them, you know, my advice or give them what I, what I think. But, um, yeah, I just always made sure, and I still do make sure I'm, you know, I'm sort of leading the way through my, my, my actions and not by what I'm saying. Like your career's gone on for so long, what well, nearly twenty years now. Your professional career. How how does how? Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> Still look <laughs> Yeah. How does the how do you keep the body like that? You know, being going through all the big hits and uh, you know, I know Lima doesn't do many tackles, so I can understand him going for a bit longer. But you know, <laughs> someone like yourself, you know, right in the mixer. I just I just love the game, to be honest, and. Um, yeah, I just fly into things, bro, and do everything um, 100%. <laughs> um, I just think also going back to, to my, my roots, bro, when I was playing sevens and that the fundamentals I learned about work ethic, um, putting in the effort, your attitude, mental toughness. Um, and when you get to my age at 36, um, it's a bit of a, a morale booster, if you get what I mean. Like, you know, I'm 36 <laughs> and I'm training with 21-year-olds or playing against 23 year old and being yeah. at Broncos or still smashing them in the gym, whatever you know, you're like, oh, that's pretty mean. Like, sort of gives you a bit of a, a booster. And yeah, um, yeah. I don't want, yeah. I don't want it to uh, be used as an excuse. I don't want to say, oh nah, because Messon's 36. That's all right. He doesn't have to do that. He's old or um, he had a shit game because he's an old follower or whatever. Um, so I, I try not to use that as an excuse. And since I was 16 and I had that meeting with Titch when the um, when my life changed, um, I got into healthy healthy living, healthy habits, um, physical and active, healthy lifestyle. And I've just had that all the way through my career. And 
Um, to be honest, bro, I've probably been a bit of a psycho when it comes to eating and and training. Like I said, bro, I ate boiled chicken and broccoli for like five, six years, bro. Like, bro, who does that? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not right, yeah you have to be psycho to do that, bro. <laughs> you know, and then, um, bro, I had KFC for the first time since high school. It was about a month ago at Ben Tamiya Furnace House of all places. Um, <laughs> oh, bro, of course, since high school. Yeah, since high school, bro. And, <laughs> bro, to be honest, I probably had McDonald's twice a year, if that, three times a year, if that, that's it, bro. And, like, I'm real strict on what I eat and how I look after myself and look after my body. Um, we didn't have sports science back in the day as well, so we just we just got flogged. So we just yeah, bro. Got the shit ran out of no such thing as overtraining back then, eh? Nah, no such thing, bro. No <laughs> such thing as GPS. And Rushy would always say, you know, you needed um, you had a good training week to smash back two bottles of water. So um, none of that. So I've just but as my career's gone on, I sort of understood. Um, sports science a bit more and I could really look after my body a bit more even though I still smash myself I probably still smash myself to this day like after every um, Super Rugby review the trainer would say oh yep you've got good numbers good numbers but you probably work too hard you could probably ease off from that but at the moment I've just got no offshore chain like I just I just love to train and I love to, to eat healthy and one day I'll um, oh maybe not hopefully not but uh, yeah, one day I can just turn it off and uh, all of my growth probably <laughs> yeah, so this coronavirus is like oh, it's a sad situation where we're in, um, but it's a good opportunity for us in isolation to to be better as a person or whatever you want to do. And um, there's a group of us at the moment um, doing the trying the carnival diet. So we're oh, are you on there? Yeah, top bro. Day four, bro. <laughs> I'm sick. Like, I don't even like meat at the start of, and like I'm sick of meat already. And like, yeah, it's, it's probably one of the back hardest to the boiled chickens or not. No, it's just um, it's just meat, pretty much. Uh, that's all it is. So the first week, it's just straight meat. Um, what we're doing with um, there's myself, Tim Nana Williams, Augustine Pulu, and Sonny Bull doing it. And Sonny's on for the last nine months, I think. So he's taking lead and just telling what us what the? to do. So yeah, bro. And the first week, you just eat um, meat, and then the following week, you slowly add things in. So like you can add cheese, egg, or whatever. Um, but the way he's explained it, it's like it's a good way to just to reset the body. So it's good for the body just to, to reset. And you've done a bit of research and homework on it. Like I haven't just jumped in because the boys have jumped in. I make sure I'm doing it for the right reasons. And it's a good time to try it. Got no footy on. Um, yeah. So it's a good time to, to reset the body. And but honestly, it's probably been the, one of the mentally toughest things I've ever tried to do because, man, just like- I'm, just, I'm sick of me. It's day four really, bro. And I've still got another... Fucking twenty something days to go. So. <laughs> How are you finding your energy levels and everything? Like, has it affected you, or is it just pretty, pretty sweet? <laughs> nah. So the first two days, I was, I was pretty, I was down and out training. But um, yesterday and today, I had really good sessions. Um, I felt like I could train, you know, longer and, and thing. But then the funny thing is, I dread having a fee day. Like, I'm just like, oh, I've got to have <laughs> like, oh, I don't have months. So um, energy levels have been awesome. And and what I've um, done my study and research on that, that you're energy levels go go off the Richter and um, looking forward to for that part but to answer your question about life after rugby um, I honestly see myself still in, in rugby I, I still want to play rugby um, having this little break probably adds another a year to my career if any coaches out there listening but um, <laughs> I sort of want to try and crack 20 years if I could crack 20 years it would be a pretty, pretty awesome achievement um, so it's a, two more years so uh, who knows, bro? Touch wood, everything goes to plan. And if not, um, I guess I'll end up coaching somewhere or 
holding tackle bags or, or doing something. Something to do with involved with rugby anyway, so. Bro, right, uh, just quickly, so, um, so did you play with Jimmy Gopuff then? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. He's a straight, That's how old I am, bro. The last of the dying breed, my brother. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you, you used to come through the era where it was like, you came through like the old school ITM Cup crowds or NPC crowds were still getting like 35,000 at the cake. Yeah, bro. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so you've come through like sort of, you know, like semi-professionalism. Like it is professional, but then, you know, into like this day and age, which is, you know, social media, you've had the best of it all. Yeah, and that's all. I was thinking that today, bro. When when um, when I was coming on this podcast, it's like seeing you guys doing things like this, seeing Artie do his. This is like, bro, it's like awesome to see. Like back in the day, bro, you would you would have got a hiding for setting something up like this, bro. Like back in the day, when, you know, when you're a young fella, you just put your head down and you just work. You know what I mean? So yeah. coming through that, having my career pretty much goes through both sort of generations. It's, it's awesome to see the growth um, in our players and what they be able to do and like. Hopefully other players not like yourselves can sort of see the opportunity outside of rugby to to, to grow and to to give their you know, give off their flavour for the for the for the month or for the year. Yeah. No, I think it's important as well in terms of platform, like not many people get to <laughs> listen firsthand to the mindset that you have, particularly with all the, the tribulations you've been through, you know, for people to be able to hear that and you talk about serving people, etc. It's not just within your team. You can read a, reach a wider audience, you know, and serve so many yeah. people across a different platform. Yeah, I understand. And that's the awesome thing about social media these days. Like, you can um, you can have a massive impact um, wherever. Like, back in the day, the only impact you could have was in, in Hamilton, you know, because <laughs> you can't reach out. But now we can, like, I'm talking to you boys over in the UK. It's just like, this is yeah. unreal. What I'm impressed, kind of your career, you know, not only rugby, but you've you've you're actually just quite well rounded as well. So you know, bit of a stint with the boxing, active on the like, presenting side. You're on code. Like, was that kind of always your thing, doing some stuff outside of rugby? Was that kind of Liam Messam, the the brand, or Liam Messam, non the not rugby player? Yes and no. Like, I'm very aware and I understand my role as a as a leader, um, and I guess as a role model. Um, a lot of young rugby players don't like to call themselves role models or see themselves as role model role models. But at the end of the day, you are if you like it or not. And at a very young age, I sort of understood that and understood that role. And um, I guess I'm just grateful for the opportunity that the platform I do have that I can be able to reach out to, to people and to help people to help them grow or to whatever it may be. Um, so I'm very cautious or very wary. Um, of the influence I can have on, on people. So I always make sure that it's, like, I love um, training. I love being active. So that's why I get into all my, my training and, and my boxing and um, healthy eating. I love healthy eating. So I'm always promoting that. I'm always trying to, and again, it goes back to my, my upbringing, always trying to help people that are, um, are worse off than me or people that might need, you know, a hand or need a guidance or need a kick up the bum, whatever it may be. Um, the TV side of things, I'll, I'm not really into that. There was just sort of a, um, a one-off for a couple of seasons. Um, the producer of the, the show just asked me um, if I would be willing to, to do it. So um, for some um, different sort of circumstance, so I just said yes, jumped on it. Um, was totally uncomfortable. Didn't you know? Wasn't into it whatsoever. Um, <laughs> live TV is not the one. Like yeah. 
I think I just sat there, bro, and I had to say one question out of the whole, whole show, and that was it. So that was my whole job. Um, so, but yeah, it's, I think just understanding as you get older, um, your sort of responsibilities and um, sort of goes back to what I want to, um, to people to have off from me instead of the other way around, I guess. Like I want to leave a, a mark and leave a, leave a legacy, leave a, a positive impact on, um, on people. Yeah, no, it's awesome, man. And is that the same for those Bonds ads that you used to do as well? <laughs> That's just for the straight free undies, bro. Yeah. <laughs> it's jockey, bro. It's jockey. Jockey, jockey, apologies. Very jockey. Jockey listening can uh, chances of sending some up to France. Yeah. And Dublin, and Dublin. That was some. Yeah, it's funny, those jockey ads, bro, you have to chuck in the, a sock in your. <laughs> <laughs> so all the Brown Brothers are getting like two or three extra socks. <laughs> <laughs> Bro, do you have any um? Do you have any regrets about your time in New Zealand, or if you could do anything different, uh, would you do anything different, bro? Um, I wouldn't say I have any regrets. Um, like I would not be where I am today, the position I am today, with with uh, with with what I haven't, what I what I've been through, like all the disappointments, all the the hard knocks, all the setbacks, all the. Um, all the good stuff as well, all the championships or all the, the influence that I had on people, um, I wouldn't be able where I am today in the situation that I am. So to be honest, bro, that I've probably be no regrets. Um, maybe when I'm a, a little bit older, I can really sit down and think about it. But at this point in time, um, nah, I don't think there, there is. Yeah. No, it's awesome, man. Looking at, or oh, we're doing some study today and just looking at, I suppose, the ups and downs of your career. I'm not sure if there'd be many other rugby players who have been through the, the roller coaster like you have, bro. It's pretty, pretty amazing to see like the career longevity you've had and, and where you are now and still kind of still building yourself into that fitness space and, and everything, bro. It's awesome. But just quickly, Hunger, I just want to touch on uh, sort of like, um, you know, you're obviously in France and you're in France by yourself and your family's in New Zealand. Is that right? Yep, yep. Yeah, how, how, how does that all work, bro, for yourself? Yeah, bro, it's, um, this year's probably been the hardest year because my oldest is 10 and my, my youngest is five this year. And um, when they're younger, it's, it's, it's okay because they sort of don't understand, but now they're, now they're understanding that, hold on, dad's not here. And I'm just missing that um, the connection between, you know, the father and son sort of connection and um, yeah. having them around and... I know a lot of parents at the moment on, on social media are like, oh, I'm sick of my kids already. It's day six or something and homeschooling. But I would give anything in the world to be in this situation right now to be able to homeschool my kids or take them to the park or whatever. So, um, you know, I, I, like we said with technology these days, I um, FaceTime my kids probably three times a day. They probably get, you know, they get sick of me. I think I can I get... 30 seconds out of my youngest, he's like, yeah, hello, bye. <laughs> and maybe, and if I don't play Fortnite with my older son, then I don't really get to talk to him. So I have to convince my, I have to teach myself how to play Fortnite just so I can play with him and his, his boys. So, um, so you're just carrying the med kits, bro? <laughs> That's it, bro. I'm the doctor, bro. I'm the, do- I'm the best doctor out there, bro. He's coming, coming to save Spirits, everyone, eh? Big pots, bro. That's me, bro. The bazooka, the um, medical bazooka. I just carry that. Yeah, but uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's tough, bro. To be honest, this is the, the hardest I've found it this year, and um, being in isolation for seventeen days now. At the start, oh. I liked it because for 
18 years of my career, I've always woken up to a schedule. Like, you've got to be here, you've got to be this, you've got to yeah, be here yeah. at 9 o'clock, wherever it was. But now I can, you know, wake up whenever I want, train wherever I want. But now it's sort of day 17, 18, 19. I'm sort of, you know, missing my kids, missing my family, want to people interaction, talk to people. But um, it's just one of those things, again, like, I'm just grateful that we've got FaceTime and be able to, to FaceTime my kids. And yeah. and when I do do see them, then it's, you know, I'm, I'm stuck to them like glue. Like, they can't get rid of me. Like, I'm just, just staking it all up. Talk us about the, the nickname Hunger. So, I'll, long story cut short, um, because I told you I was like, um, yeah, I was pretty ruthless <laughs> with my, my, my nutrition. And when I moved to Waikato, I had um, the older players looked after me really well, a guy called Keith Lone. Um, I moved in with Yo. a guy called Keith Lone. Yeah. Um, my favourite midfielder back in the day. <laughs> he, had the, he had the biggest bum in world rugby. <laughs> I, I didn't understand why until I moved in with him. And like... Um, so after each campaign or season, he'll just blow out. He'll have like chips, biscuits, everything, chocolate, and I just thought that was the meal. But obviously, it's not. But anyway, he um, <laughs> he took me out for he took me out for lunch one day with the boys, and I had trained. I hadn't eaten. I was starving. And we got to like um, a Chinese place or something, and like back then, like I said, I was crazy in the head. Um, so I sat through lunch for about two, two, three hours, just not eating, and I was so hungry, and I was just like starving. Got back to um, my mate's house had boiled chicken and, and broccoli. And he's like, hunger. Oh, hungry. <laughs> hungry, was, hungry was the original name. So the, the OGs in that team will call me hungry. And then the, the fobs can say hungry. So they say hunger. <laughs> hunger. Yeah. And so guys, like, guys like City and uh, Wax, they couldn't say hungry. So they say hunger. <laughs> oh, um, that's sick. That's a sick nickname. <laughs> Something with all you boys is, is um, Doc's brothers. And even just through this hour, they've been talking... You've mentioned a few of those boys, like which they obviously play a big part of that. Like you know, for you having that really close group circle of friends, and but making sure that you guys all stay pretty connected. I guess you, you whilst you've all got your own lives and families. But to be honest, it's, it's like super important to have that sort of bond and connections with people outside your circle of rugby, um, because you're, yeah. you know, you just you just need an out. You just need a let where you can just you just download on on your brothers or your mates, and you know. I'm I'm grateful that I got the Docs Brothers boys, and um, it wasn't until Wax's passing that we realised how how shit we were at staying connected with each other. And when when he passed, we you know we made a promise to each other that we'll always stay in contact and we'll always stay in touch. And um, you know we've got a WhatsApp group, so we just drop texts now and then, which which is awesome to see. And because um, Wax played a big part in all our lives, like for me, he he sort of taught me not to take a backward step and, and to stand up for what, what I believe in was right. And like, but he was a scary mofo, bro. Like if you got on the wrong <laughs> side of him, he was a scary man. But no matter what, bro, he always had my back. And like, um, I've been through ups and downs and he was always one of the, one of the few that were, that always had my back and was always there and always supported me, bro. So, um, we just try and represent his name and represent, um, what he stands for in Doc's Brothers in the best way we can. And, um, I've got Dan, I've got my, my carver group, um, where it's just a, a bunch of guys where we can just sit around a carver bowl um, and just talk about everyday life. Um, and I've also got my, my schoolmates, which I think is really important. Like, obviously, you boys have, uh, we're all schooled together, and how cool is it that you guys are still mates to this day? And mm -hmm. I'm, I'm very grateful that I still got my mates from, from high school that we still stay in touch and, and talk with. So having those sort of groups outside of your bubble is, um, is, is a massive, massive um, key to, to being to where you want to be. Yeah. 
That's awesome, bro. And I think particularly in high-performance sport where there's so much pressure, bro, those kind of, those pillars are so important, eh? It's, it's awesome, bro. Uh, start, bench, cut. Uh, DC, you got DC, Beaver, and Crubs. <laughs> <laughs> start what? Start, bench one, cut one. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. start, bench, start, bench, cut, yeah. DC, be- uh, Beaver, and Crubs. Bro, what are we going off, bro? We're we going off like rugby talent, or we're we going off? Yeah, we're going off the whole package. I'm going. I'm going rugby here. So we'll go DC because he's the goat. We'll start DC. Um, then have the little magician crubs come off the bench and then I'll have to cut me old mate Beaver, but then that's okay because I've been cut as well, so me and Beaver will go and uh, go hang out at the pub. <laughs> <laughs> nice one, bro. Nice one, bro. <laughs> oh, i got one more. The Mine's a little bit of a mistake. Mine's a little... But it's... So you, so you just want a championship wherever you are. You just want a championship. It's, it's day three. It's day three. Who are you picking up the phone to call for day four? <laughs> one person yeah. one person he's going to answer he, he's going to answer and be bring around a 24 box of uh, what is it Waikato draft or whatever it is <laughs> yeah well we both know um, Mala would pick up the phone but uh, I don't think he'll bring him back uh, bring around bring Waikato draft over Ooh. I want to send me on mate Beaver who are you Stephen Donald uh, oh Beaver yeah. great show love it Nice, yeah. the greatest, uh, greatest white man alive. <laughs> <laughs> Giving battlers hope all over the world, bro. That follow. I actually, I uh, messaged him. Hopefully, he's, he might he's jump on the party. Reckons, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, well, ask him about his movie, bro, and ask him how um, legit that is. <laughs> 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 cut me, bro. His movies cut me deeply. Eh? <laughs> <laughs> oh, bro, because me and him, like, we both got like the three of us, the three players that got dropped at the. And 11, he was the fourth player. So he was the other one that got dropped, but he wasn't with us at the time. So me and him obviously played um, ITM Cup or EPC um, yeah, yeah. during the, the World Cup. So me and him spent a lot of time together <laughs> during those tough times. And <laughs> a lot, a lot of time together. And not once was I mentioned in that freaking movie. Eh? And I was, like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, okay, okay. Okay. Sure? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, okay. See that, bro. Good mates. Yeah, I'm still I'm still cut about that. Eh? <laughs> that was a shit kick anyway, bro. Yeah. <laughs> <Just> <laughs> shaved you almost the... missed, eh? Yeah. You almost missed, bro. <laughs> His bloody size small jersey. Yeah, bro, he need to be he needs to be eating some boiled chicken, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But let's not talk about him. Yeah, about yeah. him. All good, Hunger. We just want to say thank you. Uh yeah, bro. Show, yeah, bro. Cheers, bro. Nah, thanks for the opportunity, boys. Sure. Like I said, it's uh First time doing one of these things, bro. And pretty nervous all day. So, yeah, bro. It's been a privilege, brothers. man. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Too easy, boys. All right. Cheers, brother. All right. Cheers, Molds. Peace. Cheers, brother. Cheers, boys. <laughs>